Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Malanfi, host of Hit Parade, Slate's podcast of pop chart history. Welcome to The Bridge. That's Beautiful Life, a 1995 hit single by Swedish pop group Ace of Bass, taken from their second album called, appropriately enough, The Bridge. We're playing this song to close the book on our last Hit Parade episode, which was about late 90s teen pop and the Swedish craftsmen who were behind the Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC and Robin hits you recall from the MTV TRL days. Ace of Bass were a precursor to that whole teen pop wave. Beautiful Life was the first American Top 40 hit for producer, songwriter, and pop mastermind Max Martin. He would go on to score dozens more. This relentlessly chipper song would serve as a bridge between the early 90s era of grunge and gangster rap and the late 90s era of boy bands and bling bling. And as always, these mini-episodes bridge our full-length monthly episodes and give us a chance to catch up with listeners and enjoy some trivia. This month, we have a very special guest. Jessica Goldstein is the culture editor at Think Progress and a journalist whose work has appeared in Vulture and The Washington Post, among other places. Her October article for Entertainment Weekly, Britney Spears Wanted to Be a Star, an Oral History of Baby One More Time, was an inspiration for my November episode of Hit Parade. Jessica even interviewed me for the piece, and I am now returning the favor by having her on our December episode of Hit Parade the Bridge. Hello, Jessica. Hello. So, Jessica, uh, you write all over the place, but was this your first article for Entertainment Weekly? Yes. Yes, it was. And, you know, you and I talked, like, over the summer, so I I guess, you know, this anniversary of Baby One More Time was kind of a cultural event, right? Yeah, I had seen this call out for ideas about pop anniversaries, and this was the first thing that came to my mind. So I guess that that leads nicely into uh, a question about, you know, your own memories. I mean, more than most of my Hit Parade episodes, this episode seemed to hit a nostalgia sweet spot for a certain segment of my listeners. Did you get similar feedback on your article, and what are your memories of that peak TRL teen pop era? What's really fascinating is to revisit that time now as an adult, because I am younger than Britney, and when this song came out, I I loved it. I watched MTV every day. I was transfixed by the video, and I really did not understand why adults thought anything about it was, to use a 2018 word, problematic, because uh, I thought she seemed very grown up. So it's been very interesting and surreal to talk to peers of mine about that same experience, to have gone from just consuming that culture kind of thoughtlessly as children to now thinking about it, still enjoying it, still feeling like all of those, uh, all that nostalgia, but to also be looking at her as the very young girl she was 
<laughs> yeah. No, she really was. I mean, one of the things that captivated me about your piece, and, you know, you talked to a bunch of people. Like we said, it was an oral history. So you were talking to everyone from Nigel Dick, who directed the Baby One More Time video, to Barry Weiss, who was the president of her label back then. And the impression I got was that Britney, contrary to stereotype, had more agency and and drove more of how she was portrayed in the media and how this song was rolled out than I think people give her credit for. Would you say that's right? I agree. I think that there's this perception of Britney as a creation of middle-aged male record executives. <laughs> and while I don't think they were disappointed in the path that she chose, everyone I talked to who worked with her was adamant that it was her it was her choice, that it was her vision. Did she realize at the time how that vision would translate to to other people? Who knows? She was so young, but certainly the video treatment was her idea. The outfit was her idea. The attitude all came from her. I particularly loved the story from Nigel Dick about how he's like, I'm a grown man taking orders from a 16-year-old girl. But then he realized, you know what? She knows this better than I do. I'm just going to roll with what she's proposing. Like, she came up with the the Catholic schoolgirl uniforms, right? She came up with kind of the whole treatment. Yeah, his original idea was what ended up being the video for Oops, I Did It Again. It was right. Britney on Mars dancing right. with astronauts. And Britney, which I think a lot of chutzpah for someone who had just gotten her first record deal and was not like the world's savviest person, you know, with very little life experience, um, was like, get me on the phone with him because I have a better idea. And she did. And, and to his credit, he he listened to her. Yes, he did. One of the things we talked about when you called me last summer was the fact that Max Martin never gives interviews anymore. Um, I shared some stuff with you from um, the early aughts that was in the Billboard book of number one hits, but that was about 15 years ago. So, like, in your reporting, I know you didn't get to talk to Max. Nobody gets to talk to Max these days, right? If only. If only, yeah. (laughs) But did you find that people's impressions of Max and his song, and especially his career, had evolved? I mean, it's 20 years later. He's now rivaling Lennon-McCartney for most number one hits on the Hot 100, right? What's kind of wild is I think at the time there was a sense of him as uh, as very talented, as as kind of like a worthy gamble. And now the perception is that his excellence is inevitable and that he's, it's a given that he's one of the greats. And I'm sure due in part to his, uh, his air of mystery, right. right? He doesn't give interviews. He doesn't talk to anyone. It makes the whole process like that much more intriguing. Like how does he do it? What are the secrets? What is the algorithm inside of his brain? Right. Well, and and the fact that also it took some people saying to him, well, this is not really an R&B song. We know you think it's an R&B song, but what it is is this kind of version of maximalist pop. And I'll bet this this teenager we just signed who, you know, actually kind of wanted to sing like an R&B diva to begin with, that would be a good fit. You know, I, I don't know. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, I guess you could say. Yeah, one of the things to me that is so wild and great about the alchemy of the song is that so much of it hinges on some cultural misunderstandings. Right. So much of it, so much of it works because Max Martin's English was still a bit of a work in progress, and right. he did not foresee how people would interpret the phrase "hit me, baby, one more time." He didn't know why anybody would have an issue with it, and then he refused to change it. But if he had spoken English like an American, he never would have written 
such an such a great and like electric lyric for this song. Exactly. And that inspired me to go back in the history of, you know, Swedish craftsmen, Swedish artists, producers, songwriters who have, you know, dominated our charts over the decades going all the way back to ABBA. Um, because, yeah, the English factor, it, I don't know, it, I tried to portray in the episode that it's a happy accident the way some of these things turn out. That, you know, a line like the rock set line, hello, you fool, I love you, come and join the joyride, is ridiculous English. Mm -hmm. But it makes for a great, you know, very memorable pop song refrain, right? Or, you know, all that she wants is another baby. Like, nobody would say it that way who, you know, knows idiomatic English, but it makes for a better pop song. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what is I want it that way about? What do they want? In what way? No one knows. Exactly. But exactly. for some reason, the song just clicks. So, Jessica, you spent uh, a period of probably weeks researching uh, Baby One More Time and Britney Spears. What surprised you? I mean, did you develop a newfound appreciation for any part of Britney's catalog or, you know, any any other part of the late 90s teen pop boom? Or uh, was it uh, more or less as you expected? That's interesting. I would say what surprised me was hearing so many people, particularly men, insist that Britney is the architect of her career and that she has not been given the credit that she is due for the kinds of things that we frequently give men credit for, like having a creative vision, um, sensing where the marketplace was going, knowing how to connect with her fans. I mean, one of my favorite lines in the whole piece was from Joe Levy of Rolling Stone, who essentially was like, if the record company could have created more than one Britney, they would have done it, and they tried. And Mandy Moore is an actress. Right. Sorry, Mandy Moore. But he's not wrong. No, he really isn't wrong. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We're now going to move on to our trivia round. Joining us for this month's episode of Hit Parade the Bridge and our trivia round is Grayson Holmes. Uh, Grayson, are you there? I am, yes. Hi, Chris. Hi. Uh, Where are you calling us from, Grayson? I'm calling from just outside Seattle, Washington. Fantastic. And uh, you are a Hit Parade listener, I take it? I am, since the first episode. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm very flattered by that. And uh, I understand, and this is actually an important detail, you are also a Slate Plus member, is that right? I am, yes. Uh, about how long have you been a Slate Plus member? Do you know? So I l- think I looked it up today. It's maybe just over a couple of years, so sometime in 2016, I think. 
That's fantastic. I uh, bring this up, of course, because, uh, as I like to remind folks every month, while this bridge episode of Hit Parade is available to all Hit Parade subscribers, we only open our trivia rounds to Slate Plus members. So if you are a member of Slate Plus and would like to be a trivia contestant like Grayson, visit slate.com slash hit parade sign up. That's slate.com slash hit parade sign up. So I understand, Grayson, before we uh, jump into the trivia, that um, you were on the ultimate trivia competition. Am I right about that? I was. You were a contestant, a contestant on Jeopardy. Is that right? I was back in uh, 2004, so a while back. But was it nerve wracking? How did you do? Uh, I won two games. Spectacular. Uh, and I, I, I blew a lead on Final Jeopardy in the last game. Otherwise, I would have won three. But what's exciting about our trivia round, far less exciting than uh, a televised game of Jeopardy, I must admit, uh, is that we're going to ask you three questions, and uh, then you are going to. I don't think you got to turn the tables on Alex Trebek when you were on Jeopardy. Am I right? I did not know. No. So you're going to get to turn the tables on me and ask me a trivia question. Uh, and uh, last month, we, uh, our contestant Richie, uh, ran the table. He not only got all three questions correct, he actually stumped me. So uh, I've been getting stumped the last couple of months. So I am prepared to eat some more crow this month, particularly against a, a Jeopardy competitor. That, that's a pretty high standard, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Question one. Our last show centered around Baby One More Time, the first Hot 100 number one hit, not only for Britney Spears, but also writer-producer Max Martin. In the episode, we also played the second Top 40 hit from the Baby One More Time album, also produced by Martin's Sharon team in Stockholm. What was that second single? A. Born to Make You Happy B. Sometimes C. You Drive Me Crazy or D. From the Bottom of My Broken Heart Hmm. So I think the last three were on that album, but I believe the one that was by Chiron was uh, C, You Drive Me Crazy. I'm sorry, Grayson. The correct answer was B, Sometimes. Sometimes I Sometimes a mid-tempo ballad was the immediate follow-up to the Baby One More Time single, and it peaked on the Hot 100 at number 21. The album's third single, You Drive Me Crazy, returned Britney and Max to the top 10 in the summer of 99. Okay, so questions two and three will both be previews of the next full-length episode of Hit Parade. Here we go. Question two. In 1987, the song Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues with Kirstie McCall, now a beloved holiday standard, peaked at number two on the British charts, missing its chance to be a UK Christmas number one. What 1987 number one hit held off the Pogues and McCall and went down as that year's Christmas topper? A. Rick Astley, When I Fall in Love. B. Pet Shop Boys, Always On My Mind, C, Tapao, China In Your Hand, or D, Mel and Kim, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree? Hmm. That really could be any of those. Um, I'm going to guess the, the Pet Shop Boys. B, I think that was. I never took time. You were always on 
And you would be correct, Ooh. Grayson. That is absolutely right. Always on my mind. Pet Shop Boys cover of the classic was first recorded for a UK television special about Elvis Presley on the 10th anniversary of Elvis's death. Released as a single, it was the upset winner of the UK Christmas number one, beating the heavily favored Rick Astley and Mel and Kim singles, as well as the now classic Fairy Tale of New York. Excellent. All right. Good comeback on that one. Here's we go. We're going to do one more question uh, that is a preview of next month's episode. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Question three. In the nearly 50 years that UK citizens have been closely following and betting on their Christmas number one song, a number of novelty records have taken the title, often beating more serious or solemn fare for the number one spot. Which of the following UK chart toppers was not a Christmas number one? A. Axel F. by Crazy Frog. B. There's No One Quite Like Grandma by the St. Winifred's School Choir. C. Mr. Blobby by Mr. Blobby. Or D. Can We Fix It by Bob the Builder. Wow. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that the Bob the Builder song made it. I feel like I heard that somewhere. I really don't know on the others. Um... I'm going to say Blobby. I am sorry. The correct answer was Axel F by Crazy Frog. While this obnoxious hit was a UK chart topper (laughs) and one of Britain's bestsellers of the aughts, it reached number one in June of 2005. Six months later, the Crazy Frog team did put out a cover of Jingle Bells, but it peaked at number five. All the others were Christmas number ones in 1980, 1993, and 2000, respectively. Well, all right. One one out of three ain't bad, and that last one was a real stumper. So I'll, I'll, t- I'll take I, it. So, I think you yeah. can hold your head up high on, on get, nailing the Pet Shop Boys. Now, uh, here's your chance to get a little revenge on me. Uh, now's your opportunity to ask me a question. Do you have a question for me? I do. All right. Fire away. So... In late 2016, Billboard published a list of the most downloaded holiday songs in the U.S. based on data from the Nielsen Company, which began tracking digital downloads in 2003. As should come as no surprise, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You was number one on that list, with over 3.2 million downloads, more than twice that of any other song on the list. But what song was number two on that list, with a total of 1.6 million downloads as of November 2016? Was it A, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, 1224 by Trans-Siberian Orchestra, B, Mistletoe by Justin Bieber, C, Do You Want to Build a Snowman by Kristen Bell, Agatha Lee Mon, and Katie Lopez, or D, Last Christmas by Wham? Wow. That is a darn good question, because I can think of at least two plausible candidates there. And I'll bet it is an unintuitive one. You know, the temptation is to go for the obvious classic, which is Last Christmas by Wham. But something tells me it's going to be a quirky one. Uh, I may be overthinking this, but by chance, is it A, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra track? It is uh, C. Do you want to build a snowman? Um, so, fr- Frozen goes large. <laughs> do you want to build a snowman? Or ride our bike around the halls? I think some company's overdue. I've started talking to the pictures on the walls. 
Hang in there, Joan. It gets a little lonely. All these empty rooms. Just watching the it's hours that, You know, I really should have known that the Frozen connection would make that one the winner. So that was going to be my, <laughs> my second choice, but that doesn't count. So uh, you you totally stumped me on that one. So I believe the Trans-Siberian Orchestra was number three on the list. So at least you were close. I was close. I was yeah. close. That that's surprising that it it outsold Wham's Last Christmas, which is a yeah. total classic. Yeah, yeah. I think Wham was like ninth or tenth on the list, uh, and Mistle- uh, and Mistletoe I think was right behind uh, the Trans Siberian Orchestra. So I wa- I wonder if people just didn't download as many copies of Last Christmas because Last Christmas is now so omnipresent. You don't actually need to own a copy of it. That's true, and there also are some covers out there. Like I know Glee did a cover, and some other folks. So it's possible those got split amongst the artists too. That is a very good theory. Well, uh, Grayson, I really appreciate that stumper of a trivia question. Uh, that was uh, an excellent trivia question. I, I enjoyed getting stumped by that one. And uh, I want to thank you for taking part in our trivia round. Uh, you, were, uh, sure. you were a good sport. And uh, it, it's frankly uh, an honor to have a former uh, Jeopardy winner on our show. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed doing it. even, uh, And I'm glad I, at least I could hold up my end of the stump Chris bargain. <laughs> excellent. Thanks so much, Grayson. Great. Thank you. Happy holidays, by the way. Oh, happy holidays to you. So, Jessica, I was stumped again. Uh, how uh, ashamed should I feel for not knowing the answer to that last question, do you think? Mm, you know, the fact that you forgot about Frozen, I think, is revealing. It is, isn't it? But, you know, it's like, was that 2016? Who can remember? It feels like it was 10,000 forevers ago. It really does. I mean, it was the, the total history, right, of, the, of digital sales. So I should have known that a song from Frozen would have amassed, like, just a ridiculous number. Um, Frozen spent so many weeks at number one on the regular album chart, not just like, you know, a kiddie album chart, but like the regular Billboard 200 album chart that I wound up writing about it a lot three or four years ago. So I really should have known that one. So as those last two trivia questions indicated, uh, we are going to be doing a very seasonal uh, theme for our next full-length Hit Parade episode. We're going to be talking about the history of a British tradition, turning our attention away from the American charts on the Hot 100, and talking about the Christmas number one, which is a peculiar tradition that only England uh, has uh, institutionalized. Every year, the British uh, obsessively uh, talk about, uh, bet on, uh, literally there are bookies who take bets on this, on what will be number one on the UK charts the week of Christmas. It is a fascinating tradition that if you are a chart fan, uh, even an American chart fan, you need to know about this crazy, crazy contest. Um, Jessica, is that something you had ever uh, come across before? I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it is one of the many, many plot points in Love Actually. Do I have that right? That is exactly right. (laughs) I was going to say, because Americans, if they know about this at all, they probably know about it because of Love Actually. That brilliant, uh, one of the many plots in Love Actually, probably the funniest plot in Love Actually, is the aging rock star played by Bill Nye. Yes. And... uh, He's, he's recording a terrible, by his own admission, terrible cover of uh, Love is All Around that he has turned into Christmas is All Around in a naked bid to score a Christmas number one. And uh, hijinks ensue. So, Jessica, I really want to thank you for uh, joining us for this episode of Hit Parade the Bridge. Uh, it was such a pleasure talking to you both before your article came out and, uh, and here today. So thanks very much. Seriously. Well, likewise, lovely to be here. And I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, thank Grayson again for playing along with us on our trivia round. I'm Chris Melanfi. Keep on marching on the one. 
Christmas is all around me And so the feeling grows It's written in the wind Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.